It's the the ironic thing. I think this is actually a really funny thing. I listen to a lot of gear studio production podcasts, etc. So many of them sound terrible. It's it's insane that right? the thing is about audio and fidelity, and these podcasts sound awful. <laughs> Thanks for having me on here. I'm I'm excited to do this. This is great, man. Yeah, yeah, man. Heck thanks yeah. so much. Uh, I'm feel, I'm feeling warm. I think it's yeah. time to, to have a podcast. So this is Gearbuds Podcast, episode 87. I'm Henry. We've got Dave on the phone. Hey, hi, Dave. And we also are super stoked to have a really cool guest on today, Danny Reich from Good Danny's Studio and all sorts of other crazy cool stuff. How's it going, Danny? Good. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man. Danny, if anybody uh, listening doesn't already recognize the name, he's done so much cool stuff out there in the world, not only just in his own with his own studio, but playing drums in bands like Shearwater. And, and also, um, I, this was something that in my research I came across that I wasn't super clear on before, but Danny also spent years recording all of the I think all of the day trotter sessions, right? Or how was did they Not all come all through of them, studio? But, but hundreds, yeah. I mean, close to four hundred wow. episodes. Yeah, I mean, we did. Uh, it was basically we became the uh, the Texas outpost for day trotter, and because there's so much, you know, so much music comes through Austin, um, it's such right, a good right. chance to grab people when they're on tour and go, hey, let's get like the zombies in there or uh, Eric right. and the animals, you know, just crazy oh my stuff. God, man. Yeah, just wild sessions. Um, you know, we had like Lizzo and Hyam before they're, you know before they were bit you know when totally. no one right. knew who they were really cool sessions oh, with, man. with yeah man the the day trotter thing is great I, I cannot wait to get super deep into all that stuff yeah uh and and, and please uh you know uh, like any guest on the show we've got some segments that we're going to go through but please just jump in we love we love the side tangents and all that cool good stuff yeah, so right. don't be shy my whole life is uh, side we're gonna tangents. dive right in great you you have all the license you could ever need uh Let's dive into the Symphony of Corrections. Here's your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes. Thank you for listening to this seriously so much. Uh, it keeps We keep getting uh, numbers going up and, and people reaching out and, and kind words all the time. And that just makes me feel freaking amazing. One of the This is one of the, the greatest things I have going in my life. So thank you Appreciate so much you for all of the, the, cool, the cool contributions that you make out there in the world. Follow on Instagram at Gearbuds Podcast and Facebook. Subscribe, Spotify, Apple, blah, blah, blah. I have a new... Uh, a new a plugin, a free plugin this week to talk about for gearbudspodcast.com slash free stuff. Uh, for those of you out there who are not familiar with Hornet plugins, they are a company that puts out a lot of cool sort of like good utilities and some free stuff and some pay stuff, but they just put out a new metering plugin, which may not sound all that sexy, but I think we all need a good, uh, accurate, reliable meter and they've got a free one. You have to sort of jump through like kind of an interesting hoop in that you have, they make you like tweet, a link to it or, or post it on Facebook and then you get a link to download it for free, which, you know, that's fine, I guess. Uh, but I did it. And then honestly, I just like deleted the tweet. Sorry, but um, <laughs> I got the plugin and it's cool. So I definitely recommend checking it out. Hornetplugins.com. And that'll also be on the site uh, for my favorite sub sub segment. Let's just dive right into bad fucking ideas. Got a oh, couple, yeah. um, oh, couple yes. fun little uh, Craigslist things that I found here this week. Um, 
I don't know if this is happening. So last week, uh, loyal listeners will remember that we were talking about the post uh, in the musical instrument section of Craigslist of the local person trying to sell all sorts of For different drugs. drugs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, this week, I come to you uh, with a new one from musical instruments. Uh, the headline was just Sweet Service X. And it's and it's it's a hook. It's a hooker. It's a it's, it's a, a prostitute. Someone. It's a call. It's a call call lady. Call person, lady. So. A lady of the night. Um, Nothing they're kink is friendly. If that's the thing that you're interested in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were no photos, unfortunately, so I couldn't confirm uh, that it was the listing that it said it was. But um, you know that might still be up. Weren't there, there photos of like a gold top Les Paul? Actually, no, no. That, oh, that was, was. I think that's separate. I think maybe I don't know. We're crossing somewhere. We're in the dark. I, mean, yeah. I don't think. I don't think there were any gold top Les Pauls because I definitely would have included that. She said in it was only screenshot. seventy seventy dollars though for the services. At least the price was listed on the uh, on the ad. So that's not. That's actually that's just good listing practices right there. Mm-hmm. That's just being a good Craigslister. I think that's so good. We we have we'll a. Uh, I, I have a I have a uh, many many months long thread between a friend of mine that that lives in Denver and between Austin and Denver. The musical instruments Craigslist is just a treasure trove of insanity. It's so good. Oh, I mean, in Colorado, (laughs) it's like weed is legal and man, they are letting it fly. Any idea you got, it all goes to the musical instruments section of Craigslist. It's insane. Uh, Absolutely insane what people And I'll say this, just like don't flag the ads, people. Let these people post this weird stuff. It's Craigslist. It's harmless. Like don't flag them. Yeah, it's free. It's harmless. No one's getting hurt. Put, Put up, keep them coming. I love it. You know, I do have one little thing that I would like to add, and and, and this is actually like a, a a little Craigslist tip that I'll 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 share uh, that and something that I've been doing recently. Like you know, uh, even though I do typically almost always just when I'm looking on there go through like by artist or by uh, owner, I should say, not by dealer. Uh, sometimes you still get a string where there'll be like fucking fourteen accordions in a row or like yeah. a bunch of clarinets or whatever, and then you you still see those. Um, there's like this little there's this little trash icon over the listings now, and you can actually just remove those so they don't show again oh. uh, so like as i'm going through i'll just like be like yeah i don't ever want to see these accordions again and i just trash them out and then they don't they don't ever come back unless of course they you know create a brand new post they're not just like renewing the same post over and over well craig's, well, craig's power that. user tip was that dave i couldn't hear you i sorry but oh no craig? i was just saying is that a new is that a new feature or are they like i didn't i never noticed I that think, before i think it, it might i i don't know exactly i haven't uh contacted the dev team but uh, <laughs> i think it's i think i think it's pretty new yeah i don't know I actually love Craigslist's commitment to their like very Windows 95 interface that like they just don't yes. change or ever update. It's like just bad colors and Times New Roman everything. It's like it's committedly exactly. lo-fi and there there's there is something about that. They have they they haven't like gone the way of like a, a reverb or eBay where it becomes this like super site. It's it's like right. it's 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 like kind of trashed and that's like kind of part of it. I love that. Yeah, me f- too. And the, and and then there will never be ads because that's just how it yeah. works. Yes. And that's the, we don't ever have to Appreciate worry about ads. That. Uh, oh, you know what? Actually, one quick uh, other little Craigslist thing that I wanted to quickly add in here because this was cool. So uh, recently, uh, folks will remember I have acquired my you know sort of a dream SVT, a '70s Curveline SVT, and uh, made that deal via Craigslist. And so um, you know, as I as, as I made this deal, it was masked in a parking lot, you know, in like sort of a public place. So didn't really, I didn't really get to see the face of the gentleman. Anyways, it turns out that like, not only do we have uh, some mutual friends and then like he reached out afterwards, uh, he owns uphillrecordingservices.com uh, here in Chicago. It's a pretty cool studio. But also he then sent me an email to say that when we made that deal, he was like, Hey man, I just want to let you know, your voice was sounding really familiar to me. 
as we made that deal, I was literally listening to Gearbuds podcast in the car on the way there. Dude, not you, knowing you, that he was making You got recognized for the podcast through a Craigslist deal. That's amazing. I got I got voice recognized in a sweet <laughs> deal too. He had, it was a very reasonable price, you know. It wasn't like he wasn't trying to beat me up or anything like that. It was actually a, a very reasonable thing. So I want to give a shout out Kevin Tabbitt's uh, Uphill Recording Services. Good dude. Go check them out if you're looking for any sorts of work like that. Awesome. Um, quick update here. So I just wanted to, uh, as I was, uh, it's, it, those, those who are familiar with, with what I call a studio and where, where our, our guest here, Danny works out of, um, they, they shouldn't be the same word shouldn't be described, uh, used to describe the two things that said, um, I was looking at pictures of your studio on, on the, in the internet here. And I noticed that you've got some sunlight uh, going on and how rad is that man? Like having what some, some windows and stuff coming into your, into your studio and your control room. Yeah, man, it's it's essential. I, I've 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 worked out of so many different studios all all over the place, and uh, man, I just cannot do the shoebox thing. It is just when when you right. come out <laughs> and it's just dark outside, and there's been like no passage of the day. It's it really. I think it trips uh. people out. I think there there is actually, and you know what? I think there is actually a thing, the, a subconscious thing when people notice the day. You know, four or five o'clock comes around, sun starts setting. There's like a rhythm to the the day that actually like sort of arcs with the flow of the session that I think is actually kind of like yeah. kind of essential. Like, you know, everyone everyone kind of has their to-do list for the morning. You've got like all the stuff you got to slog through that day. And usually the fun experimental stuff gets sort of allocated towards after you've gotten like some amount of like essential core stuff in. And that kind of generally happens. I don't know, like the sun starts going down. It's nighttime. It's a little more vibey in the studio and it's like the time to get into the weird stuff I, there's there's something right. to that I, <laughs> yeah yeah man i'm so thankful for it just like this is my first experience where i've had a, a space in a, in a room where, where there are windows and stuff and i just like having spent all day in there yesterday with even even though frankly chicago is pretty fucking gloomy right now um even just like have like you said that that sort of rhythm to the day having that happen while you're also working on this other creative stuff is a first for me and it's 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 such a game changer so yeah that's good Really good for your brain. Really good for your brain. You know, there is also the option. We all forget about this. You you can also just in the middle of a session go outside for five minutes. It's so hard to <laughs> it's so hard to do, and and no one really does it. I mean, unless you're smoking or whatever. Right. But you unless you smoke, just, exactly. Yeah, you, yeah, smoke, you, can you can just go outside. That. You don't have to smoke. Like you can you can just take a break, and it it, it is an interesting <laughs> thing that people don't do that. But it's uh, I I had a session yesterday. I was like, I just I told him I was like, just give me like five minutes. I'm gonna come back in. It's gonna I think we'll actually save probably 15, 20 minutes of me trying to like, you know, yeah. chase down this thing I'm on. I'm just going to step away for a minute. It's you, you do have that available that's to a, you. That's a great idea. Yeah. But you know, I, I've, hard I've, to, for hard somehow to I've never even considered it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's one of those things like, you know, we could, uh, we have a, we have a, uh, we have a soccer ball outside. That's like, we have a giant field right behind the studio. And it's like, let's just got just five minutes just go do it it's like you just get you come back in new fresh ears fresh listen fresh perspective just getting out of the zone for uh, some amount of time is it's really good for hitting the reset button get some perspective that's really good advice yeah, yeah. it's Very it's tough advice. to do though man i you know because you, you i mean i'm sure most people are like me you get in there and you're like ah, i just got if i just i'm almost there i'm almost there i'm almost there. It's like man just yep 
just give it five minutes. Come back. It'll, maybe the thing you have is already good. You know, you just got to step away. Or, from you know what? If it's that big of a thing, you could just like, you know, set some punch points and get a little playlist going and just let them keep keep looping a, a, a little section for whatever five minutes while you're not in the room anymore. That could work, too. That is true. Yeah, 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 totally. Didn't they used to have to do that when Pro Tools first came out? When uh, when they had to like bounce down a track or something, you would have to leave because it would take like an hour. So you would just go outside or go go out to lunch or something like that. Rendering so, stuff. Yeah, rendering exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, now, I'll tell now you what, man. We're rendering offline, this podcast so. every week. Holy shit, that takes forever. Oh, like, does it? You know, a solid hour and a half of audio with plugins and stuff. Yeah, right, it, right, it, right. on my machine definitely takes quite a bit of time. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. So I, you know, I I, feel I, that for sure. I I I just came. I just finished mixing this uh, this film score in five one and. You know, everything in the film score world gets delivered in stems. So I've got 25 one stems for each queue to render. And man, wow. it is. Wow, dude. But you know what? It, 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 honestly, I mean, we used to have to print all that stuff in real time. And man, it is just amazing that I can set all my buses up and just go plus, 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 and have 20 of them pop up and just hit export and go, okay, cool. That one's done. <laughs> and that's amazing because it could, that could be such a stressful process otherwise but to have such a, an efficient workflow totally now it's just like let's do it bring it on yeah 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 absolutely uh well folks i unfortunately just really quick uh, before we before we leave the symphony here have to um unfortunately share some news so uh, we've lost um a member of the audio engineering world and and and, and i've lost a friend as well so um recently josh shapira has passed away um, i think probably a lot of people listening to this have somehow um worked with him or crossed paths with him he was an amazing engineer professor at columbia here in chicago um just all around recording mixing audio dude um and just recently lost his battle with cancer so um, rest in peace josh yeah. you know a lot of people, a lot of people love that man. And I, and I can say without any question, he taught me a lot a long time ago, just even basic stuff that probably like a professor, oh, some other professor might've been turning their nose up at such a stupid question, but he was always just like, while he had a great sense of humor and would probably rib me about it, he also would teach me or show me anything I ever asked. So, um, Josh Shapiro, rest in peace, man. We're, we're fucking, we all, we're, the world is, is definitely worse off for having lost him. Well said, man. All right. Well, uh, that is the symphony. And now I get to turn it around and say my two favorite words that I get to say every single week. Dave's Dave's guys. Oh, man. I got to thank you. I got to thank you for this one, Henry. Um, You tagged me in this, I believe, uh, last Uh week. And I didn't even know this was coming out. I've been searching high and low for a Bee Gees documentary. Um, Oh, you watched it. I watched Can You Mend a Broken Heart? about the Bee Gees. It's on HBO, so you guys, uh, if you have HBO, you can find it. Um, fuck, man. Those guys were awesome, dude. I, I I don't really know what else to say. I mean, they're like, they're three brothers, so, and it's, it's actually really funny. There's a, there's a segment in the movie where Noel Gallagher is, is being interviewed, and he says, of all people, he says, singing harmonies with your brothers is like another instrument in the band, and it's, it's something that a lot of bands who don't have brothers in the band can't you know they can't actually you know meet that level of harmony and how how close those Hmm. voices can sound i thought it was funny to hear him say it who you know right (laughs) arguably hates his brother or whatever they have their notorious curmudgeon yeah exactly so um i thought that was a great quote from the movie um i had no idea in the early years so um and for people who don't know the bgs are australian i don't know if a lot of people actually know that fact i think a lot of people think they were british um but they're three brothers, Australian, and they sounded like a lot like the Beatles when they first started. And they actually had 
arguably like a Beatles level of fame when they were successful in the mid sixties, which I, I never knew, man. I never, I think of Bee Gees, I think of disco and Saturday night fever. Yeah, totally, and all that totally. stuff. Same here. Yeah. I had no idea they had this kind of, um, sixties pop sound when they first got together, you know, they, they had been playing music together since they were like five or six years old, you know, singing and playing guitar and all that stuff. So they were kind of just naturals, uh, from the start. And, uh, yeah, they were so famous, in fact, that they actually broke up in the late 60s. So they were, like, this super famous pop band. They did all the 60s thing. Like, I think one of the guys, I think it was Barry, he had six Rolls Royces before he was 21 years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, like, just, and I never knew that they had this insane level of no, fame. I had zero clue. Yeah, and I was, had no was idea. Was that fame, so. like, that, that, but was that specifically, was that, like, in Australia? Was Were they sort of, like, a, a celebrated home home country well no band, that's the thing or? they actually they're i they must have moved to britain or something at some point because they um they had the same manager uh that cream had robert stiegwood uh he was the cream manager i'm sure he managed many other bands but i think that was the most famous so they knew clapton um they that got them in with like epstein and the beatles so they were in that whole circle during that time which you never think of wow. when you think of the Bee Gees. I had no yeah, idea. I just that think kind of, of an entire different era when I think of Bee Gees. It's so interesting, dude. A hundred percent. And but then it also to go and to you a know, different. You know, what's interesting though is that that speaks to a, a, a very different. I mean, Rolls Royces aside, it speaks to a very different era in the music industry where people's careers yes. did have those kinds of long arcs. I mean, it's the same with like David Bowie. You look back and it's like, yep. man, he he was making records way before anyone there was a Ziggy Stardust you know and oh like dude that, he was broke sort of career before Ziggy Stardust is, man yeah yeah I mean yeah. when he did his first when Bowie did his first US tour he had no money like he was yeah. driving around in a Rolls Royce in the back like he rented it but he had no money to show for it it was pretty incredible actually and a cocaine yeah I mean it, boot, way, so. way different type of uh artist development and and support uh f- I mean just be, I mean frankly the music industry had more different in that more there money, was you know, any at all happen but but yeah, that, that yeah the amount sense of money of career that, development it's uh it's uh, man i wish we had that now it's everything is sort of like singles and like kind of you know quick licks everyone you know it's just sort of like 15 right. seconds well that was kind of that that that's that's kind of something i've found funny about like i've been watching a lot of these documentaries obviously and the thing about like the 60s was you in, in all these stories they were like we decided to form a band but then we knew a guy in this band and then there was like this group of like famous bands that always hung out you know you had Jimi Hendrix you had you know Johnny Winter you know you had all these guys who were like they all kind of knew each other in this circle well and yeah no, I mean you think don't of the Laurel Canyon thing I mean that's that's a whole nother I mean you look at the Laurel Canyon thing it's like wow these people yeah. are just like neighbors they, they were just hanging out partying that was yeah. just like the people in their neighborhood yeah. they're all friends and yeah or like the Haight-Ashbury movement you know like in San Francisco yeah. and the Grateful Dead and all that stuff it was just people hanging out really is all it was um so i thought that was fucking cool and then uh yeah i guess the last thing to say is um you know they were definitely the godfathers uh of disco man i mean they basically invented the sound um i thought this was kind of interesting on jive talking no oh yeah this was interesting on the song jive talking they actually so they got back together in the early 70s and you know they they like hated each other. They were like they all got married and they all had the, they went their separate ways. And for whatever reason, they got back together. I think it was when Brian Epstein died. They got back together because they just were like we gotta we gotta honor him and like you know make more music and kind of keep this thing going. And they were kind of has-beens at the time. And they sent out Jive Talking, which is a banger of a track, uh, to radio stations without their name on the label. And imagine that even today, you know, talking about. You know, sending a radio station your your record, maybe one or two people know who it is, but they play it on the radio, and then people are calling in, going, "Who is this? 
And they're like, it's the Bee Gees. And they're like, oh, I thought they were washed up. And they're like, no, this is their new sound. So, you know, they came out with that. Um, and that's kind of what jump-started their whole, you know, the whole disco era was was a song like that, which they weren't trying to make disco. They were basically like, you know, they had this uh, keyboard player named Blue Weaver who came in. He was from Mata Hoople. And he came in and then oh, he cool. started he started talking. I know, isn't it a small world? Because we were talking about Bowie and talking about... And you know, Mata Hoople and all that Ronson, shit. yeah, exactly. And... Um, you know, and then so basically he got together this keyboard player with Barry and they were obsessed with Moog synths and they were just like, just that's all they did was like, you know, get high and play synths basically. Dope. And that's kind of how the uh, how the disco sound started. And I one other thing I thought was really interesting was uh, Nights on Broadway, which has been stuck in my fucking head for for like two days now since I watched the movie. But if you guys haven't heard Nights on Broadway by the Bee Gees, it's a banger of a track. I don't even know what song that is. On the Nights on Broadway. It, it's been stuck in my head. I swear. I God. knew you were gonna do some falsetto, and that's why. I asked, <laughs> well, so here's I still, the thing. I still don't hey, know what it is. Speaking of that, though, can, can you can you like? Was there a plan? Like, did the guy did did they just get in? They're like, okay, I got like an idea for a vocal, and then he just started singing like that. Or Dude. Were, was everyone in the room like, uh, yeah, what? Dude, it's, or was it's actually like, funny you ask because th- like, what's like? Where that's did that exactly come from? what happened. They wanted to beef up the end of the song, so Barry was like. He's he goes into the studio. Everybody like left, and he's like in there by himself, and he starts recording, doing this falsetto like screamy part at the end. And at the end of that song, you you hear it. It's super prominent. It kind of comes up above all the other vocals. And he does this crazy falsetto. He says in the doc that was the first time he's ever sang like that, and he had no idea he could sing like that. That is so. Funny. After all these years of being in a band and playing music, so that they, they, they were like, like, well, the, the falsetto sound. thing it's rules. Like, yeah. It's what yeah, you think I mean, in a way, obviously, there were guys in Motown and like other bands had had used falsetto before, but he basically combined that with the synths, and that became their sound. And that's you know that's the Saturday Night Fever and all the you know all the the disco Bee Gees era stuff that you hear. So, fuck, man. I mean, they have wow, a hell sounds story. really good. Yeah, uh, definitely watch it if you guys have HBO or if you can. Well, find you a mentioned friend. the. I gotta ask. You mentioned the the Moog stuff. Or was there any other any other sweet gear spotting in there? There was some cool gear. I don't know what the uh, one of the brothers. I think it was. I, I I keep getting them mixed up. I know Barry was the one with the really good hair, and then there's Maurice and Robin. Two of them are twins, actually. Um, and I think Robin, he was playing a, a really interesting like Gretsch kind of hollow body guitar, but it might have mm-hmm. been like a Japanese knockoff thing. I really didn't. I couldn't recognize it. I couldn't really put my finger on it. Um, but if you see it, look out for that. Obviously, some cool Les Pauls, some cool Fender basses. You know, it's the 70s. Um, fucking awesome movie, though, man. I definitely recommend it. I'm going to give it a five out of five falsettos on that one. Definitely watch it. This is the second is recommendation I've had. Quite literally high praise. Yeah, that's huge. I, I, this is the second second recommendation this week on that BG stock. So uh, the Dude, word is out. Check it out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's called. Dave, uh, I gotta say, man, you're keeping it fucking relevant and timely with these <laughs> ones. Like we did Sound of Metal last week. Yeah. And, I mean, you're just like on the on this like the fresh tip. So well, I was kudos to you, man. Thanks, man. I was drying up a little bit, you know, and then I was just. <laughs> I was I was really happy that Sound of Metal came out because that was more of like a movie movie that we got to right, talk right. about, which was cool. But then, you know, I was like, I got to come back with like a strong doc. And this I was so glad this came out this week. So uh, for everybody who's stuck at home and uh, not not sure what to watch, definitely watch Can You Mend a Broken Heart about the Bee Gees just came out. Oh, dude, you know, you just reminded me. I actually I went back and watched another Dave's doc. Oh, you recently, did? Uh, recording in progress on Amazon. Oh, yeah. What would you think the- of it? 
this it was it was it was exactly what you said it was cool and there was a bunch of people in there that i like recognize and stuff but you know uh, it, it's sort of a surface level thing there wasn't yeah. very much presented that somebody who you know hosts a gear podcast and like Agreed. is intimately involved with recording you're not going to get like a ton of new stuff out of it but yeah. it was still it was a great thing to have on sort of like almost on in the background while i was mm-hmm. doing some other stuff yeah i thought it was it, surface level would definitely be a good way to explain that one danny did you see that one it's on Amazon? i have not no no that sounds okay. cool though it's a cool it's one. It's very specifically about owning studios in the art of yes. like being a studio owner versus home recording and like, you know, Blackbird, Albini, a lot of people are in it, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those things. So it's it was an interesting watch specifically, yeah, because of the reasons Dave laid out in that previous wonderful review. But, you know, it's not necessarily like must watch you don't have if to run you're out already an it. expert. No, yeah. it wasn't amazing. I, although much, I will say, wouldn't you say there was some great gear shots in that? Uh, in that? Oh, they showed some, some the, yeah. gear porn, man, some Neve boards. I was pausing. And, I was like looking yeah. at all the outboard. I was doing yeah. all that for sure. <laughs> so if you're a nerd and you like that stuff, that's definitely a good one to check out for sure. Yeah, that's Agreed. awesome. I need to check that out. But uh, I'm assuming yeah. that it is a bunch of studio owners going, don't do this. Don't do it. In I've a way, done. it's a bunch of studio <laughs> owners going like, well, this it was cool for like 30 years, but uh, yeah. so yeah. Kind of talking about the like good old that. days and that type of stuff. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe we'll get we'll get your unique. Yeah, I'm excited to get a, Danny's opinion on some of this owner. stuff for sure. Uh, that brings us to Hank hits, which um, so uh, sort of in the spirit of last week, where um, we talked about my playlist for the top 25, my songs from the top 25 records of 2020, my personal list. Um, this week's Hank hits, I, I'm going to make another playlist that hopefully Dave will post on on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That is so. Uh, th- what happened this year was my top 25 list. I was it got out of control, and and what happened was a lot of people um, that I know or we've worked with on this show or that I just know from my past, they put out a lot of good records this year too. So mm-hmm. what I did was actually take all of those out. So any record that was made by someone that I like sort of know in some way, I've pulled those out of the top 25. So now I have my own separate list of just my top records by people that I like am somehow lucky enough to be friends with. And that cool. is my Hank hits for this week. So um, we're hopefully, you know, Dave posts that on the Facebook yeah, you got you it, links and all that sort of shit. And I want to mention really quick, one of the artists on there, I believe due to a little internet sleuth thing um, is someone that, that Danny and I, you know, we have in common as friends or, or somehow, uh, associates and that is the band loma oh, uh, specifically yeah. dan dazinski oh yeah dan is uh dan actually just gave me a mci jh 110 quarter inch machine that we just got fixed up this week uh Ooh, dan yes yeah uh dan is such a great engineer such a great human being and man i i absolutely love the the shearwater cross record combo that is loma and man the record new record sounds so good it's dark but clear it's like such a hard thing to do it's it's really hard to Mm -hmm. make it to create clarity and and without like relying on air and top end to sort of like sell uh, the definition on everything it's like it's like taking a a photo that's really dark but you can still see everything it's really tough to do right he nailed it wow absolutely nailed it and really well said so beautiful absolutely beautiful record that their their first records was uh, far and away, my wife and I's favorite record of uh, 2018. So, yeah, that was also on my 2018 list before yeah. I had to to section off all of all of people that I know's music. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that record is also amazing. So uh, we'll share that playlist uh, in the places. Um, I will stop uh, punking out on Hank hits one of these weeks and actually do another record review. <laughs> uh, 
Before that, though, we're going to keep the show moving here and get a little bit more into Danny and all of his background and things that he knows and cares about. But uh, the way to do that first is we're going to start off with a couple two-tree randos. So that's just where we ask you a couple two-tree rando questions. All right. First one, if you could swap places with any band member of any band, past or present, living or dead, regardless of your talent or theirs or any of that kind of stuff, who would that be and why? Oh my God! What an impossible question. Just to, just <laughs> casually casually throwing it out. Which band member of any band ever in the history of music would you be? God, that's right? gotta be that's, a, right. that's so hard. I think uh, I, just just for the music nerdery thing, I think I would I, I would trade places with just about anyone who got to play Woodstock just to see and be part of that thing. That oh, would be yeah. That would be incredible. I don't know who that. Maybe Mitch Mitchell. Maybe I played drums for Jimmy or something like that. But you're in the experience. There you uh, go. Something there like go. that. You know, I, I feel like yeah, I couldn't get into the Grateful Dead. Like it's, it's just a little too wild for me. But uh, yeah, so, something in that. <laughs> so just to to be able to teleport back and look out and be like, I mean, of course, none of the you know that was probably just just another big festival show to those to all those people to them yeah that's right but you know just in context historically of what that stood for at the time uh politically and socially and and uh what a landmark can you imagine having being someone who's like uh yeah i played woodstock like what else do you say you're like you're like okay well you don't really have to ever which one 99 yeah 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 yeah. i played woodstock 99 cool man I was there, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Great answer. Wow. That's a really good Beautiful. one. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, all right. So upcoming Christmas, currently Hanukkah. Uh, do you have a most memorable holiday gear gift? Ooh. You know what? I'll tell you my my favorite my favorite uh, gift was actually just given to me a couple nights ago for Hanukkah for, from my wife, and it is a little. Um, it's a little box. They're, they're super affordable. It is so much fun to play with. I highly recommend everyone looking this up. It's called Cranky with a K. And it's a little, um, it's like a music box that you, you know, it's got a little crank on it. You run it through and it's got the tines and it, and it plays like a music box. But you, mm-hmm. it comes with little music staffs, these long sheets of music staffs and a hole puncher. And you punch your own melodies into oh, it. No. That's yeah. amazing. It's really cool. So You and can that's, make your that's, own. You make your own, but it also has a contact mic and a looper with a pitch shifter built into this little wooden box. It's tiny. It's just like a little Shut box. Shut up. You hit record and you crank it through and it'll play. It'll record, you know, I forget what it is, like five or six seconds of whatever you play. And then it's Whoa. got a playback button that either goes one shot or it loops whatever you just did. And it's got a knob on it. This is the coolest thing. If you have the knob all the way up. You can then drop the playback two octaves. If you have the knob all the way down, you can crank the playback up Bring it two up. octaves. Or if it's in the middle, you can go up or down either. So you can do these really cool, warpy, like super spooky, cool, lo-fi sounding melodies and drop them two octaves. And you're and it it's it's thing is so much fun. It's incredible. That sounds just, fucking awesome. Holy it's crap, so good, it. man. Yeah. It's got a quarter inch out. You can run it into pedals. You can just you know di it whatever. So. That's that's my favorite new gear gift. I I this this is ridiculous. I I I uh, I just got a Prophet Six um a, about a month ago, and I've wanted one forever. And I honestly yeah. I'm I'm like more excited about the cranky. Thing. <laughs> I've, I've spent more time playing with the cranky thing than the than the new Prophet synth that came in. So wow, that's, that's gonna amazing. I'm going with that. And one I'm sure too. you know. Like one, you know, a fortieth of the price or something like that. Oh man, I mean, I think it's like eighty bucks or something. But man, You're such right. a oh, cool, awesome. fun toy! Wow, 
Yeah. That's amazing. I need that. I yeah. think it's too late now for me to ask my wife to buy me one of those for Christmas, so I might just have to go out and get it myself. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. shipping charge might cost Dang. as much as as the uh, as the thing. But yeah, those, <laughs> exactly. that thing is really cool. So yeah, highly recommend. That's my favorite new toy, and that's that's from this year. So thank you to my wife oh, Sarah yeah. for yeah making yeah. it special. Uh, I you know unfortunately this next question I feel like you might have actually already answered, um, and that is if you had a time machine where would you go? But I oh. guess then the the question we could add to it is what gear would you buy when you're mm. there? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you you know what I would do? I would go I would go back to like mid early 70s and buy up all of the tube gear that everyone was ditching when everything became solid state yes. transistor. Just oh, just dude. go yeah. you know that's essentially what Alan Sides, the owner of uh, Oceanway, it's essentially what he did, you know, back in the day is wow. is uh you know, go and just bought all the tube mics off of off of everyone going oh man these things are old they got tubes you got to change out the tubes yeah. it's they don't I even know, sound that good <laughs> no. Wear out. no listen to how much brighter and clearer these are these new solid right? state u87s <laughs> just sell all the u67s oh i would just be there with i mean just shoveling them into it. that that would be my move i think i'd i mean you know and it's it's crazy now i think even even just like in the last five or ten years just the way that the way that the vintage gear prices have I mean, it's just become laughable. It's it's absurd. It's you know, ridiculous, right? I, man. I saw Yuri 1176 on Reverb a couple weeks ago for eight thousand dollars. Eight thousand oh wow. dollars. I mean, it's a it's great. You're gonna need you're gonna need a pair of them, anyways. Come on, man. Are you kidding? Me? <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's That's, ludicrous. Yeah. I mean that that. You know, for a while, I felt like the boutique prices were getting a little out of control, yeah. but yeah. they're all of a sudden they're way more justified when you compare them to the vintage counterparts. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's and it's. I mean, basically, it's 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 made. It's all the collectors that are. You know, they buy the stuff up and drive the price up, and you're like, man, you know, the problem right. is 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 all of the you know the people that are buying the eight thousand dollar eleven seventy six. Those those are not going to studios that are getting used. Those are those are going to studios that are sort of like. Uh, trophy studios for people where, where it's like they have the expensive gear they have the Fairchild they have the Neve console no one works in there there's tons of these studios there's so many of them um, right. and mm -hmm. you know as an engineer sometimes it's cool to be friends with those people to you know be able to use those spaces but it's just a shame it's sort of like the collector guitar thing it's like you know those things aren't no one's actually using those it's and it's like it's, it's just, wall hangers yeah, yeah it's just it's just a shame that that uh you know just the direction that the the vintage gear thing has gone it's just become so esoteric well, especially right now too i'm sure you've noticed i mean just the bubble that the the pandemic has created on this stuff is fucking wild yeah everything is. is up everything is up right now yeah it is every everyone's everyone's just put everything up and you know great you know i have a couple things like that i'll, I'll put something up and go like this is kind of too much but if someone really really wants this thing i'll just sell it and yep. i can sit yeah. on it for a year well that's but, what keeps it going it's it's stuff is actually selling for those prices so i know it's wild that's, it's that's wild market. i will say it does seem like All within right. the pandemic it is it, there there it is more of a buyer's market than than it was maybe a year ago but i i think that's just because people are you know some people are Hurting. tight and their backs against the wall and they just got to sell stuff for whatever they can get yeah for it. that's right Absolutely. All right. This next question comes from our previous guest, uh, Pete Falconer. Which, any, I say, I feel like I say this every time. I probably do, and and I mean it. 
if you haven't listened to that episode yet, so fun. after this one, definitely go back and check it out. Pete's Pete's the man. Uh, he'll be the first to admit, not the biggest gear dude. So that's not the episode to go to if you if you're trying to get super in the weeds on a lot of gear. Some Although there are some stories, fun stories man. about like yeah. Billy Corgan or whatever. But um, yeah, just just a just a fun rock and roll episode. But anyways, his question for you and not, Danny, not knowing who you were, but just that you're in the music world, his question was, and this is gonna be this is gonna be a tough one. So this is the other reason I didn't do Hank hits because I thought we might need a little time for this. He wants to know, of your top three albums of all time, right? All, top three Desert Desert Island records. Pick one to have never been made. And then what are the historical ramifications of this? Oh, my God. That is so, so meta. Basically, you have to pick your three favorite records and then also decide yeah, this which is one the, of those three to By erase. the way, by far the deepest question from any guest we've ever had. <laughs> he just rat- wow. rattled it off. He like, did. He rattled shit, it off. Dude. He's like, oh, this just came to mind. And then he spit Thanks, all that out. Pete. And we were like, what? <laughs> You're like, wow, that is impossible. Good luck. Yeah. God, so I think is... the first the first part. Let's so we'll, work, yeah, we can let's work on this together. Here. Let's just maybe if you could just like I know again if you ask me my top three albums on any day that's going to well, yeah. Change. Then, so let's just say yeah, like today. Totally. I, I'm and I'm I'm specifically top your head, top an anti. Records. I'm an anti uh, list guy because I I just can't rank. Oh. I just can't rank my favorites because it's it feels it's like yeah. picking your favorite children. It's it's really hard. Um, mm-hmm. It is. But I want to. I'm trying to think of a, an album that would have. If it didn't come out, it would have completely changed the course of something uh, of, of of music. And I'm I'm trying to think of something that would have like really really disrupted the flow of music or the the right. trajectory that music yeah. was on. And and that's definitely a very viable path to take. The other the other sort of option that we were considering is that you know it's like you could sort of game the system, right? You could say, oh, my top three albums are, I don't know, Trash. all whatever, tran- <laughs> yeah. are all trans by Neil Young. So like, oh, oops, <laughs> we just have to get rid of that, you know? Oh, yeah, like, the, the loophole. You guys, you guys have thought about the loopholes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh. you know, if I appreciate your honesty. Uh, so let's just go down the honest path. Like, if, yeah, maybe, I, you know, I mean, Dave, what would you, well, yeah, that's do the you thing. have your top three favorite records? Like, could you even pick one? I mean, I was, well, I, when I think of records that would have changed the trajectory of, of musical history, I've got to put like Dark Side of the Moon in there, maybe, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, I feel, I feel but like I don't the, know what the big that concept records of the 70s are, 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 are big ones because the, the, the you know, decades of, uh, you know, obs- of, of musicians that have followed you know like dark side of the moon bowie you know just stuff that right that the influence that, that, that it created yeah the influence is just so massive for decades afterward um i don't know you know and then how far can you even trace it back because i mean you could make the argument that pet sounds really drove a lot of this shit yeah. that happened yeah so, like right what could do you want to go with some, what pet what drove was, brian wilson yeah at? that's I don't interesting know if we that, pick one that's that's one that i that was on my mind because i feel like see that i let's talk about pet sounds actually because that that was it's definitely up there i was i was kind of juggling i so i was going to say maybe remain in light by the talking heads one of my favorite records of all time oh man um but pet sounds is interesting because uh and i think about this a lot because um if that hadn't been made um i mean for one there sort of wouldn't have been a, a commercial sort of successful answer to the to the an American answer to the Beatles in a certain sense in terms of uh, arranging mm-hmm. and, and and I mean there there are there are like the Van Dyke's Parks people that are on that level but maybe they didn't get the notoriety but but Pet Sounds is interesting because I feel like this thing happens that I struggle with um, with younger musicians a lot which is that um, 
people need a lot of musicians I work with, it's like they need to make their version of pet sounds before they can go on and become themselves. Ah, uh, interesting. And I think about this a lot because I've done it a lot and I have been on that ride so many times and I can see it happening while it's happening. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm here again. I'm doing that thing where this person is obsessive and needs to prove i think there's like self-worth and all kinds of things tied up in this it's like they need to prove that they can pull off some version of their extremely ambitious extremely super detailed hyper stylized i would say maybe over arranged overthought to Mm -hmm. a certain extent uh they need to do that to prove to themselves that they are capable of doing that to trust something that might then be more themselves and more like an actual honest expression. It's like they have to wow. get that out of the way first. And that that's a really interesting thing because uh, because without that, it's like I, I do wonder if without without the high watermark of, of an album like Pet Sounds, like would would people potentially would, would musicians I work with potentially be feel less inclined to have to prove that they're capable of doing something on on a scope or scale like that or 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 would it have just been something else maybe it would just be something else um it could have been just been something else but this is a really fascinating train because that's again really like maybe maybe it was going to be sergeant peppers well we all know i mean i'm sure by we the people listening to this we all know that sergeant peppers wouldn't have happened had pet sounds not happened because right. that's what drove them to do that shit so right like at what that's that's the fascinating thing and but also as you were saying that something that was coming to mind and i agree i think that you're totally right about this and i have to wonder too how much value there is in it beyond the sort of creating this high watermark for yourself or, or proving something to yourself or trusting yourself, but also just, you know, creating a, this, you know, it, whether it's a masterpiece or not, something that ambitious requires a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of effort. And hopefully part of that includes crystallizing some new skills or, or your songwriting or your performing or recording or whatever it is. So sure. it, it does seem like there is, there is also this added benefit of just like having to actually put in the work into something that someone might call a masterpiece. Yes. And and or proving yeah proving <laughs> that you're capable of doing something that could be considered that or that that is that detailed or that is that well thought out or that has that level of rich chromaticism and hyper stylized uh, you know instrumentation. It's mm-hmm. like it's like there's a yeah there's like a need to prove that you can think in those terms so that then you can go on to maybe just do something that's more simple that's more honest and it's it's really more of what yourself like more of you. But I, there is a thing I, with, uh, in particular with young young musicians, I think that it, it can be hard. I, and, and this isn't music specific. It can just be hard to trust in yourself and in your gut and in your instincts when you're young because you kind of have to try a bunch of hats on to figure out who you are and what you are. And that's all about growing um, and and kind of learning who you are and accepting who you are and accepting that, that uh, maybe you're not these other things, but... Uh, but what you have is is unique and special and it's good and maybe it's just different than something else. Um, but it's an important thing and I think Beautiful. you know you talked about you you know you mentioned Loma earlier and uh, you know I've I've made uh, many Shearwater three Shearwater records and and you know played 500 shows with the band and seeing Jonathan go on Myberg the singer from Shearwater who's one of the mm-hmm. three members of Loma um, and and Oakerville River, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And and but seeing him in in a different context, um, 
I don't know. You know, I feel like you know when 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 I first um, was when I first came on to work with Shearwater, uh, we did a few records for Sub Pop, and I think there was a little bit of a, a feeling of like, oh man, we need to like really swing for the fences, and mm-hmm. um, and really really dial everything in. And I, I I hear now like in the in the Loma project, and may, maybe this is just because there's a different combination of different mind meld from from Dan and Emily and their working relationship with Jonathan. But I, I do feel like there is, um, a, a little more of an openness to, um, I don't know if it's rawness or there's just a little bit more of a human element. There's, there's, it's like a little more, uh, it, I don't know, maybe, maybe feels a little more, um, like honest in a sense, like it, like, like there, it's not so so buttoned down in a certain degree. It's like open, and there's there's wild stuff. There's like just dogs barking in the background. It's just like it's a little more like ambient mm. and, and wild. And I I think there's okay. something to that. That's that's kind of interesting. I see people kind of, I don't know. Maybe maybe you need to. Maybe you just have to make the really buttoned down thing at at some point so that you can so you can accept that it's okay to just like maybe you know leave your hair a little bit messed up and maybe your socks don't match and but be okay with that you know what i mean <laughs> right yeah and, and you're putting you're creating context for yourself when you're doing that too like the button down thing because then without having that to compare it to you don't know if your hair is let down and your shirt's on yeah, or that's whatever. An, yeah yeah that's knowing true. the rules yeah before you break them kind of thing um, yeah this is, this is great in that. fact i think i kind of want to I'm going to, Pete, sorry, buddy, but I think I'm going to have to just keep this question going forever. Even if we don't ever get a real answer out of it, it's just leading to such a worthwhile conversation. So this is going to stay in here. But the last one, so actually I have to ask you now, Danny, uh, what, you don't get to know who they are, just that that it's someone else in the music world. What question would you like us to ask our next guest? Hmm. Let me think. And, okay. and and it can be as like goofy or light. It doesn't have to yeah, be it doesn't just have like, to be like hyper deep. thoughtful <laughs> uh, major major discussion thing. But also that's that's cool too if if you've got one of those that you can rattle off. Okay, here's one. Here's one. This is a good one because I think this is a good thing for people to 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 be to think about. What was something that was ultimately what was uh like an event or a thing that happened to you in your in your life or career where um it was something that was extremely disappointing or or maybe a, a super like a, a real big knock that you look back later on and go man i really that was i got so lucky there cool great question i love that I, and i'll tell you you know what i i'll, I'll tell you what this, this actually this, this is something I th- i've been i've thought about a lot and because i uh so I, you guys remember eagles of death metal were in paris when that horrendous shooting yeah Bataclan yeah Bataclan yeah yeah. so I was in Paris that night um I was playing with with other lives and uh we had we did like a Radio France thing that day and we were with having dinner with the label and they um uh asked us to go to La Cigale another venue to go see one of their sign a new signing on the label and um just to and so to back up so so we we were out that night and it was absolute mayhem but um, one of my really good friends, uh, actually who plays, uh, plays on, uh, played on the last three Shearwater records, uh, Cully Symington, incredible drummer. Um, he's played with a ton of amazing bands, but, uh, Cully was hired to play drums for Eagles of Death Metal for that tour. And I was, oh my God. Yeah, and I was in LA, um, with him. We were playing a show in LA. This is like a, a few weeks before I was in LA. We played a show that night. Cully and I got lunch. He's like, man. I just I got hired to do this Eagles of Death Metal tour and uh, 
and I just like it was like right before we got to lunch, he was like, "Man, they just called and said that their their drummer could do it, so I'm I'm out." I thought it was he was like, "Man, I thought this was gonna be like my break, like my big thing." Like Whoa, I was like shit. just so pumped, and man, he was absolutely yeah. dejected and and, uh, right. and super bummed about it. And you know, fast forward uh, a few weeks later, and I happened to be in Paris that night, and. Of course, I would have been at the show. My band would have been at the show. Everyone that I was oh with, God, the label, yeah. well, of yeah. course, we would have been there. I mean, if Cully was playing, we would have been in the crowd or back in the green room or off side stage, whatever. Or, yeah, side stage. And uh, man, I just think about that and I think about Cully and I think about that situation. And I feel like everyone has those. And those are like really good moments to learn from, like when you're disappointed in something um, that sometimes actually ended up being really good for you. And that's like just yeah. a, it's just one of those self-awareness exercises where you're like, you just have to reality check your expectation versus, uh, you know, the reality is, is that you never know what actually is good for you or what was the thing or what path you're really, you know, quote unquote should, not that there is a should, but whatever path you um, should be on. Um, it's just, yeah, you never really know what's going to lead you which direction. And sometimes you feel like a door closes and you're like, man and then you look back and you go god thank god that didn't happen you know totally and and and, I'll, and and when you go through that exercise and of course not all of us are going to have something necessarily so evident maybe as sure. as you know and like a, a tragedy like this but the point is that when you do go through this exercise it allow and you do find some sort of peace with that then when you do inevitably like we all do face some other hardship or challenge you have perspective to say oh remember when i went through this really fucked up thing before and it actually turned out to be this other cool thing that Absolutely. you know this mm-hmm. other opportunity or whatever 100%. now it's like okay well this horrible thing just happened this th- chances are that this could also just be something that leads to something else that i look back on as, in, in a positive way yeah ultimately that's just a, an exercise in letting you uh, accept whatever comes your way which is really sort of the yes. like meaning of life is just realizing that you're you your preconceived idea of of the path that you're quote unquote supposed to be on it's all bullshit and it's all in your mind and there is no path it's not even that you're on the wrong path or there's a different path it's that there aren't even paths we are just moving through it and you just have you have the option to accept or 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 not accept what's happening to you and then that creates dissonance and tension and anxiety and fear and all kinds of you know frustrations and stuff uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's you know you can look at it either way on the you know the things that happened that that ended up you know it's 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 real an interesting thought exercise for people and I'm always interested because it is because that that exists on every level. I mean that could just be a record that you really wanted to do, you really you were up for, and maybe someone else got the mix yeah. or someone else had, and then you find you hear about the pro the project you hear about it. You know I've had this happen like a, a me and a couple friends are like both up for a mix on a record and someone else gets it. And then you hear about it and you're just like, oh, thank God I didn't get that. I wanted it so yeah, bad. Thank right. God. You hear about it and you're like, oh, what an absolute nightmare. We are like on Mastering Revision yeah. 13, just obsessive, anal, crazy project. You're like, thank God I did not get on that boat. And, yep. and you know, but, you know, then you're, but you're like bummed because you didn't get it. And it's like, you know what? Just let it go, man. <laughs> I love it. This is this is this has all been really good stuff, and and I feel like that that's like a new sub 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 segment uh, yeah. Zen Buddhist buds that we're gonna have from now on Buddhist because buds. that is that is just let it go. There is let no it path. go, man. You don't have control, Danny, anyways. That was amazing. Now I'm gonna ask you just to take us back a little bit. So uh, obviously you're you know you already mentioned a few times you're down in Texas studios down outside of Austin. Is that where you grew up too? 
Uh, I grew up in Texas. Yeah, yeah. And I, I uh, moved to Austin uh, 20 years ago, actually. And uh, and I was so so yeah. you get to cl- make some sort of claim that you were there when it was still cool. Oh yeah, well you know what? But you know, people twenty years ago were talking about how they were there. But, you know that I was yeah. part of the problem. Yeah, you know, it's it was it's cool. like <laughs> always been fashionable to talk about how you were there before. You know. Yep. Uh, what, what was was there music in the house? When did what was would you get your start there? How did that all happen? My my start came when I was in uh actually in pre K. So when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Back to the Future. I told everyone in my pre-K class, my name was Marty. I wore a jean jacket. I had a toy guitar. (laughs) That scene in Back to the Future 1 where he plugs that guitar in to that absurd Uh. 90-inch speaker, whatever it is that Doc has in his... his, uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he blows himself back to the back of the room with that thing. I was just like... That's it. Like I want. That's what I want to do. Marty's the coolest guy. He's got a skateboard and a guitar and and a cool band. And I just, I mean, I was just obsessed with it. It was just guitar was the symbol of like that is cool, and I want to do that. And and I and I want the jean jacket too. And uh, (laughs) and maybe a little puffy vest to go over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, so so that that uh, on the early stage, that's what that was really my avenue in that. And then uh, when I was in kindergarten, I had a tape. I can still see it. My I had a Fisher Price tape deck. It was red. Had different colored buttons for each. Fast the forward, player wine, uh-huh. yeah, really goofy '80s looking stuff. Um, and uh, and I had a a tape that had uh, it had Pet Sounds, and it had on one side, and it had Michael Jackson uh, on the other side. And I just that was it. And that's like basically all I listened to when I was a kid. And looking back, I'm like, man, you could not have groomed a kid better for becoming a music yeah. producer than putting MJ and Beach Boys. I'm like, that just covers right? like so much of it. Uh-huh. Uh, and that put me on wow. the path. Yeah, man. And I just, you know. Grew Did up. you start uh, bang- banging on stuff then or yeah, was, were I drums started, first? Did no, you do that? Yeah, no. So I, I started playing guitar when I was a kid and um, always played guitar. And, you know, like every like every kid has a guitar and I wanted to have a band with my friends and we all played guitar. I'm like, well, you can't have four guitars in a band. Um, yep. So one of us would, you know, we'd always trade off on like playing drums and, you know, we were all terrible. Um, but I was like, I like a fraction of 1% maybe better than my other friends. So I got relegated to drums and which I was like a little sore about because I wanted to be Marty McFly. <laughs> but, um, but I, but it, it became an obsession. I, and I just was like, you know, this is so much more fun than guitar. And, uh, and, uh, and that just became the thing. So I saved up and, and, uh, and bought my first drum set, the cheapest drum set you could buy and uh percussion plus sparkle blue drum kit oh yeah and uh yeah you still have it no 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 uh but um but yeah and that you know the rest is history i just i mean drums became my kind of singular drumming became my singular focus um after that and i went to music school for for drums and percussion were you so obviously you know like drummer slash audio engineer recordist all that sort of stuff mixing engineer was it and this is a story that we hear all the time and i think it happens a lot but i'm curious if it was the same for you was it a matter of well someone's got to record our band so like that's going to be me totally 100 percent. yeah it's just the thing where you're like you know i i already have a four track and we can borrow my buddy's older brother's microphones for the weekend so yeah um, in fact yeah what what really what got me into recording is my um so my this little band I had when I was when I was just telling you about was you know four guitars. Um, my my buddy Chris Gruber, his older brother Jeff was in high school. He's a little older than us. He was cool. He smoked. He had a cool band, um, 
and they had he had a four track and they would rehearse out in their garage and we would go out there and mess around and we'd have little spend the nights and like write a song and record our song i mean really Mm -hmm. stupid like like uh i want to be a professional friend is like one of our one of our songs you know it's really you know (laughs) adorable this you know it's like a like sixth grade spend the night sort of thing we'd go over there we'd record That's awesome and we'd you know we'd get jeff to you know just sort of uh chris's older brother to tape up just to just to uh yeah basically just run it to just set up to record and he was just like you know this is really stupid and you guys are kids and i you know he's in high school he's like i don't want to mess with this so he showed us basically how to record and gave us one tape that we could work off of and uh and we would we just started recording ourselves and then we'd 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 you know we'd like record a little ep over like a weekend and then put them out you know we put the little piece of tape over the tab on commercials you know we'd like tape over a vanilla ice tape and you know dub down right. our dub down our you know like 10 copies of this and we'd sell them at school for like you know three bucks and we'd use like clip art like microsoft clip art to make like album artwork on these tapes oh yeah i love it yeah so and basically we just do it to do to make enough you know we'd make enough we could you know buy a few like a pack of tapes so we could keep doing it um but uh that really was the the avenue in and then uh and you know so we Jeff, the, the the older brother, he he kind of set us up with a buddy of his who had a quote unquote proper studio, which was in a garage in Denton, Texas. And I mean, it was you know, it was just a carpeted room with like a panel leaned up in the corner that there was like a mini disc four track, you know, connected to. Nice. So the first, you know, so we went in there to re- record in this quote unquote proper studio, and uh, and uh, it was simultaneously it was the, it was the first day I'd ever been in a you know, it's, it was a garage studio, but first time I'd ever been in a studio. Also the first day I ever yeah. smoked pot. Also the first day I ever heard ween. <laughs> and that just oh, really, shit, man. that just really That's solidified a, a lot. Of, that was a big day, man. That Holy just shit. really yeah. solidified everything for me. And it was, there was kind of no turning back after that. I was like, this is all I want to do. This is it. I just want to be doing this all the time. I'm going to go ahead and say, even if Pet Sounds never happened, that experience of getting stoned and listening to Ween, you're still going to be the engineer that you are today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. You can, wow. you listen you listen to Ween the first time you get high when you're 14 and like, yeah, that's, uh, you, you can't go you back to You see the world a little that. differently. Oh, there. 100%. That's awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, were you playing in bands in high school doing that kind of stuff? Did you end up, did you do like music school and that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So I actually, I, I started interning at a studio when I was in high school. Um, and uh, I was a tape op there and got, you know, did did the whole classic. I mean, this is in the 90s. So, you know, it was still when there were, you know, the studio I worked at had, it was a complex that had nine studios in it, you know. Holy uh, crap. Yeah, echo chambers. I mean, you could record orchestras. It was, you know, tape. Um it was, a, you know, kind of the end of that era. Um, so I interned there for about a year for, for two different engineers. Um, and uh, and I, so I was pretty, you know, I, I was pretty up on stuff. By the time I'd graduated high school, I'd already had, like, quite a bit of studio experience. I played in a bunch of bands and had assisted on a bunch of cool stuff. And um, I got to assist on, like, a Reverend Horton Heat record when I was a kid, which, you know, they're from Dallas and where I grew Badass. up. And that was, that was like, yeah. a very cool thing to to meet Jim and kind of be a fly on the wall. And uh, Bugs Henderson was, like, a kind of classic uh, Dallas blues guitarist. Got to, got to be involved on some of these sessions. I was really young. I mean, granted, I am literally was, you know, just by the tape machine, just reading manuals. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, right. Picking mm-hmm. up food. But, man, it's But you're just, still there. Yeah, I mean, you're 16, 17. You get to see real how this really works coming from 
my world of smoking weed and uh and listening to ween and recording in a friend's garage you're like (laughs) oh man this is like the big time so yeah yeah so yeah that kind of put me on the path i went to recording school i went to music school in uh down here in in austin at at, uh uh, texas state just just south of austin in uh, san marcos and they have a recording program that's within their music program so i uh yeah went to music school and basically they treat recording they treat the studio as your sort of primary instrument so you're your focus becomes production rather than, uh, you know, just specifically being in like wind ensemble or something. Um, so it was a cool combination sure. of, you know, a very technical college experience uh, combined with ear training, sight singing, piano, ensemble, do, you know, doing all the traditional music stuff, which was really good uh, for a kid that grew up playing punk rock, you know, to actually kind of formalize. And so it sounds like that that's happening right at the sort of, inflection transition point in this like analog to digital thing right is that so like is pro tools even exist in existence at this point it is and and you know it was was early on so a sound designer had just become pro tools and um okay yeah and uh yeah so like at that studio that i was telling you that i interned at we had an early version of pro tools that was only i guess sound designer was just stereo um we had a multi-track version of pro tools at that point i can't remember which version it would have been like maybe two or something like that or, or mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. something early early on it, was, it wasn't something that you could really properly at the studio anyways you know they, they were still very much tape based for real records but um right but uh yeah it was really early on i mean just any editing or plugins i mean it, it wasn't it was very crude at that point but but within you know a couple of years it was like the digi 001 came out i got one of those and it was like oh man i'm like i'm a pro I'm a total pro now. <laughs> so, so well, and, and the reason I want to explore this is, and one of the I don't remember actually. It might have been in one of the Rupert Neve session videos that I saw. But you, I, and something that I I watched or read that you you mentioned being this analog till I die kind of guy. And sure. so I'm curious, yeah, well, like what 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 formed that? Because you obviously mm. were there as this digital stuff was happening, but you're still now choosing to kind of have a tape centered studio. And of course, you have Pro Tools and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. Um, like what what is sort of is do you, do you, do these previous experiences in your teens and then like in, in school and stuff do you think that's what formed this analog till i die guy feeling or was it more so just like your pr- the way you've worked throughout the years and your yeah. tonal preference yeah i think it i think it's more of an extension of coming up under um under a number of engineers that uh were very much committed to the tape thing and that that may just be because mm-hmm. i interned for people who were skeptical about digital early on because it was right. just starting to take over and uh, in retrospect, maybe some of those guys just were against digital because they're afraid of the impending studio structure closing and not needing to hire the studio. Right. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if there was some self-preservation attached to that, or they were just concerned about having to learn this new format, and they were kind of older engineers that were probably not mm-hmm. going to become Pro Tools wizards, and they were committed to their their analog aesthetic because that's how they came up, but. Whatever the reason was, it was imparted on me that analog is is you know it's superior. And um, mm-hmm. now, granted, I mean I'm you know I have I'm on Pro Tools Ultimate and have you know Burl converters and I'm you know very I Max my uh, partner here at the studio we set up Soundflow this week so we've got like scripts within Pro Tools that I can send to my analog gear and it creates sends and return tracks and names it and I mean. I, I'm an analog till I die guy, but I'm also in here working on Pro Tools every day. You know, I mean, yeah, I, right. So it's just the the reality is is that that uh, 
you know, the, both both are valid. And for some projects, you know, there, there isn't there isn't a right answer. There's just there's just some sometimes the workflow and the sonics are the right choice for the right kind of project. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up. I would love to to ask, ask you some specific questions about that. Yeah. What kinds of things stylistically or song choice like what kind of things would you be listening for that would determine whether you would take a much more sort of tape heavy focus versus something that might be a little bit more straight up right. quote unquote in the box digital well, side you of know, I'll tell you I mean in, in some cases I don't have the that choice is made for me because of the timeline because of the budget okay um, or oh, okay. because of the players you know if someone's like you know a tape session is just slower you have to wait for the tape to rewind you have to rehearse punches you can't just undo and save 15 playlists and go back and just throw a little piece in yeah, like right. you, it it takes focus and it takes uh, a lot of communication and it's it's a much slower paced session um and i actually miss that on you know in digital sessions that just even that moment to rewind there's just like there's just a thing that it creates a little more sense of like a, a greater sense of calm in the room and among people because you're not doing this rapid fire everything is quick key shortcuts oh, oh i messed that up and then the engineer doesn't even say anything and just boom you're just back to recording right with at the same start point command z there's not there's no moment to just chill and catch your breath and it it does create a little bit i mean it's obviously obviously much more efficient but um with certain personalities it can it can sort of fuel uh you know, people that want to make sure everything is like looks right on the grid that, you know, there's that kind of thing, you know, with analog, there's nothing to look at. There's uh right. You know, you just, you have to use your ears more and there, it's just a little bit of a different pace. Um, you know, there, and there's also just, just, there's just bands where I'm like, I'm just not going to put a drummer like that up on the tape. It's just not, it's not going to be better. Yeah, I'm okay. going to need to work on this stuff and, and it's going to take, like looping sections and really trying to get the feel dialed in. And I just, it's, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make this hard on myself and on them by having to get mm-hmm. a live full pass down of something, you know? Well, and you, and you, and you mentioned the drums and, and that's something that we can sort of zone in on a little bit too, is that, so you're obviously your drummer. We've mentioned you've played a lot in big bands like Shearwater and other lives. We've already mentioned them, you know, major tours, you're a sponsored sure. drummer, CNC, Istanbul and Vic Firth. Like you've done a lot of that sort of stuff, but also, you know, have a, have a, a studio that you own and, and have this thing. So I'd like to ask sort of how you think about balancing those things in your world like do you have a preference as just being in the studio or being out on the road like how did, how did you kind of wind up where you are now with with the balance between being this drummer that you are while also being this audio engineer and, and mix engineer mm, yeah well i mean you know yeah the the studio is kind of an extension of being a musician and, and my studio is very much a musician's studio it's it's there's uh there's you know as many instruments as there are mic pre's and microphones it's not it's not the kind of studio sure. where, where it's just a shell with with a bunch of uh, german tube mics it's it's real. you know <laughs> i set it up to where uh every keyboard you know i've got a crazy collection of synths and pianos we always leave everything mic'd up the leslie is mic'd up every keyboard is run through sub mixers that show up on two inputs and pro tools without even i mean it's we always leave mics on the vibraphone. Both the pianos are mic'd up. Every lines are run for everything. It's it's more. I really mm-hmm. like having a, a studio where it is sort of a more of a creative space, and um, and I think that kind of is an extension of being a musician and being in other studios and paying for studio time and wanting to be creative totally. in the studio rather than just go. Here's a room set up and do your thing. Some guy's gonna put some mics up. Hope it turns out 
however you wanted it you know it doesn't really mm-hmm. leave room for the all the fun stuff that happens in the studio which is where production and all the wacky ideas and arranging and and creativity mm-hmm. comes from and and uh yeah i my, i mean i guess to answer your question I, I i like doing both i love doing both i think i'd be miserable yeah. if i only did one you know okay cool but um because you just, some, you you just know, burn you, out. we talked to some people where it's like i just got burned out on the road i only ever want to be in the studio right. anymore and and so yeah kind of curious if, if you hit that wall or if you're just like no once the world's back open again oh, i'm ready to play some drums yeah well I'll, I'll tell you i i am eager to get out on the road and, and tour and i'm i'm um you know like many musicians this past year very very bummed that i you know i thought i'd be on tour most of the year starting with the summer because uh other lives just put out our put out our new record and at the end of April and uh yeah I thought I was going to be gone all summer touring and doing that right. and, and and here I am grounded but I'll tell you what I'm I'm after eight months straight of mixing I'm really ready to go play some shows and then I will hit that wall <laughs> yeah. and I will and I will be ready to and I will be ready to not play some shows after <laughs> after that and you know I'll be, what though I can't wait to get home He's and eat something you know it's like I have to imagine that people's chops are fucking great right now for like as much time as I know I've just been sitting home practicing and playing like we're going to get some great fucking live music once this is all opening. Oh man people are going to come out with The bands might not be all dialed in together. Yeah right exactly but we're we're, our chops are like there are going to be so many new prog records that come out after this (laughs) I'm telling you it's going to happen. And not to mention how eager crowds are going to be to to go see shows again too so that's I hope that's the case. Yeah, I hope I think so, it is, man. man. I, I think, I think it, it is. is. I think it is. But man, you know, I'm, I mean, obviously, we got to be safe and smart about it. And as as eager as yeah. I am to get out there, I mean, I you know, I I see some of these big. I saw. I was just in Austin the other day. I saw this giant uh, uh, billboard for a Michael Bublé concert at the big whatever ginormo dome. Um, you know, ten thousand people, whatever. It's like February eleventh. Uh-huh. I'm like, you know, oh, I'm what? eager to get to see shows, but I'm like. That can't, you guys can't be serious with that, right? That that can't That's be aggressive. happening. <laughs> like we gotta, we gotta like, we gotta make yeah. sure it's safe, right? I mean, you know, you. I mean, obviously, we want to. I'm I'm ready to get out there, but I also, you know, not at the expense of, you know, I I don't want to be in a band where uh, someone came to our show and then walked away with COVID and their imagine family right. member yeah. dies. You know, yeah. that sounds that's that's not good. So yeah. and the crowd thing, I, I do think that there's going to be a bit of a hangover with that for a lot of people, myself included, you know, like sure. all of a sudden going back, like not being in any crowds for however long amount of time. And then all of a sudden it's going to be weird. For, yeah. And I think that some people will be better at it than, than others. And some people, frankly, are going to have some PTSD and shit to deal with. But I, I do. I, I have to imagine that music of all things will be the thing that can kind of bring people back together. Yeah, again, 100%. Because, yeah, I hope so. You know, the, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, like so many venues and promoters and the, really the infrastructure that allows touring to happen are hurting and they're closing. Yeah, a big, big hit to the Austin right. music scene this last week. Margin Walker announced that they'd be closing and they're, you know, aside from C3, um, probably the biggest booker in, in Austin. I put on, you know, kind of almost all the shows that I go to and uh Man, you think about that, and you think about bands that have developed relationships with promoters that work with these some of these companies. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, I I just I hope that we get to a point where we can we can start getting some wind in those sails before long, because you know the the more of these that close, the harder it's going to be to get the whole machine back up and running. You know, absolutely, yeah, we'll get there. I, we will I get do there. Feel, I we'll do get feel there. positive about that. Yeah, yeah. me too. 
this conversation is going so great. There's so many things I want to cover. I'm afraid we're not going to get to all of them. So I do, I want to kind of quickly sure. pivot to something else. We started talking about um, day trotter and, yeah. and I mean, the hundreds, literally almost 400 or so, whatever sessions that you did for that. Um, are there any that sort of stick out in your mind as like particularly memorable or, or something that maybe it was, um, you know, not what you were expecting. The result was a lot different than maybe what you were thinking or your preconceived notions going into the, the session with the, cause for anybody who doesn't know day trotter. And, and of course, please correct, correct me if I'm wrong. You're the expert here, but it's more so in my mind have designed to be like, you get up and you show up and you play kind of thing. Not like we're going to do this like production and overdubs and all that no, kind of stuff. Zero, right. zero production. Day, day trotter. Day trotter is not only, not only is there no production, um, the mix is live to two track. So oh. you, you don't even mix those afterward. It, so it is a real, I mean, if you want to, if you want to do a real engineer boot camp to get your chops up, Right. Nothing like having a band come in and, and go, you've got two hours from load in to load out to record four songs and mix them wow. live to two track. And we got to a point where we were basically mastering as we were mixing because we go through so many Holy artists. Shit. We had to. There's no way to go back. I mean, like during the week of South by Southwest, we'd have anywhere from 40 to 60 artists in over the course of about seven days. I mean, we're working wow. in shifts. Engineers just working in shifts. We had like a team of interns, you know, doing the load in, load out. Because, I mean, it's two hours. Like, first band would show up at 10 a.m. Next band session starts at 12. And they got to be loaded out. And that band's loading That's in. fucking crazy. Yeah, man. It is crazy. And, you know, and they would, and, you know, it would just they'd casually just be like, oh, yeah, the hold steady's the next band. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Know, it'd just be like, no big deal. You know, or like uh, like the zombies. Like we rec- I recorded Rod Arjun and Colin Bloomstone just playing my piano. Colin Bloomstone's just drinking a Lone That's Star. So amazing. Yeah, and absolutely Legendary. incredible moments. I had like an out of body experience. My hands were like, I just had this moment. I was looking at my hands and I was like, I, whose hands are these? Just, just real <laughs> existential pa- panic moment where you're like, you're looking over and you're like, this is on me. Like, I want yeah. to enjoy this, but don't listen too much because I, you really need to not like fuck this up <laughs> yeah you gotta be like you gotta be like working the whole time yeah. you know so you gotta yeah really and keep I, your head on straight oh, i had like tunnel vision i turned around and david frick from rolling stone bob boylan from npr uh and oh someone God. from the new york times is behind me there's like 20 people that have snuck in the back wow. that, you know back of the studio and i turn around i'm like wow the control room in is your studio filled. yeah control room is filled with people i was just so in the zone with this doing this session that i you know because because the like i said the mix is live um there's yeah. no going back, you know. There's no fixing stuff. Right. I'm so in the zone. I just hadn't even realized, like, man, this room is filled with people. I, I, they finished the 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 last of the four tunes, and there's this gigantic applause, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> there's people in here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was an incredible one. I mean, we recorded Jimmy Cliff, yeah. we recorded uh, Eric wow. Burden and the Animals. Um, That's nuts. I mean, it's just I've got like Lizzo, Heim, George Strait, Coheed, Andy Schaaf. Third oh, yeah. Eye Blind. That's a that's Third kind Eye of Blind. A wild yeah. One out there. Third Eye oh, Blind. Yeah. This is, yeah. We had a couple. There was a Dandy Warhols came in. We had a couple kind of kind of what I would put in the legacy act. We had Counting Crows come in. You know, it's funny too because you know right. the, the wow. studio is at um, the studio is based out of a hundred year old. Uh, Victorian house so it's it's not like this giant commercial facility with like a lounge and a loading dock okay like uh, it's it's vibey and a very cool place but it's you know Counting Crows showed up with like an 18 wheeler and their tech started like loading in these giant guitar tech 
you know, six <laughs> right. foot racks. Yeah, and I was like, whoa, hey, 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 yeah, yeah. Before you guys load that in, just real quick, you need to come take a look and see what you're working with here. And they're like, oh. yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not bringing all 40 of those guitars in. We're, we're doing four songs. Just pick the guitars they need for right. those four. You Keep know. it simple. Yeah, basically. But that's By cool. By the way, and quick, real quick, I. I, I Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was gonna say it's it's cool because it makes uh, you know it it does with some of those artists like uh, like Counting Crows for example like it puts them in a situation where it's a little more raw dog and I I think they really enjoy that because it's a little it's it's it, it is it's not the big production thing there's nothing it's right. it is like kind of more real and honest and there's something about that that's kind of at the heart and soul of Day Trotter that that made those sessions really cool. Um, that you can kind of like see this way more like, you know, there's no varnish, there's no production, there's no gloss. Um, granted, I think some of those sessions sound good. Some of them sound better than the records, but, um, that is a really interesting thing, especially with, with those, with those bigger artists to come in and go like, Oh wow, they, that guy can actually just sing. It's not just like producers and you know, whatever. So, um, so, I mean, I was going through your discography and it's, it's extensive a lot. Of course. Yeah. I mean, just this, this day trotter sort of baptism, baptism by fire, but also like just other records. turns out that there's some stuff that I've already been a fan of that you've done, including, oh, okay. uh, the bright light social hour record, which oh, yeah. is fucking rad. Um, and then also I, the Dana Falconberry record who she's like, sort of, we have some mutual friends, oh, but cool. love that. Um, so you've done some all before I ever even knew your name. I've already appreciated your work. So oh, that's, that's awesome. Badass. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, you never know, we're man. Also, I, we're, small world. Yeah, exactly. And 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 speaking of small world, I could probably rattle off a bunch of names of people that we also are like have friends that we that there was no we can do that another time. But um, we're sort of getting towards the end of the episode here. I do want to pose sort of one last question okay. to, to you, and it's based on um, and this and I do want to get a little bit into the sort of tech geekiness of of recording. So sure. uh, one of the things I noticed in um, Especially in those Neve videos that you do, which are super cool. People should go check those out. Um, by the way, for the the Rupert Neve design stuff that you you've worked with and worked yeah. on with them. But um, in one of the sessions, you mentioned how you're. It was in this like really old library, like Texas's oldest library. Yes. And how you were selecting microphones, and one of the things that you're being very particular about which what what you use condensers on oh, like yeah. when, when you would you have a bunch of condensers out there or, or trying to avoid doing that tell me a little bit about that like how are you how are you thinking about choosing ribbons or why you're limiting the amount of condensers you would use on a, in a sort of mostly live session like that? yeah absolutely you know and and that that is one thing that is it's a good segue from the day trotter thing because i learned so much about throwing away your preconceived idea of putting the most expensive microphone on whatever you want to shine Yep. It, it's not it doesn't always work that way especially in a live setting where there's going to be potentially some bleed or right. uh you know whatever it and it has to fit in the mix is um you have to pick like everything everything comes down to like 90% of it is microphone choice preamp choice and i mean that is that is so much of the sound right there and using polar patterns and thinking about pickup from the source the first thing is whatever you're putting, the first thing in your chain is always the microphone. That choice of microphone will change everything. It'll change placement, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. change how much bleed, how much top in. It's basically your first EQ. It's your first compressor. The mic is doing all that. If you want the, if you want the sound to be, if someone's got a, if I notice someone's checking their guitar and it's real spiky and we have a ton of 2K and they've got treble cranked on it, um, I'm definitely putting the darkest, slowest mic that's going to absorb a little bit of that top and 
just give okay, me something sure. a little closer to what I'm going to need in the end rather than going, well, we have 57s up. So I'm basically putting like, you know, you're putting, you're putting, uh, you know, kind of more of the same like upper end 5K thing on this, on this source that already has maybe too much of that. Exactly. Don't do that. Put the thing that pairs well with it. It's all about pairings. And that doesn't mean... And that can mean that the U67 just doesn't get used for that session. It, it's and that's fine, right. you know. And that that's a big thing about having gear and knowing your gear is um, not using the most expensive stuff all the time just because it was expensive or because it's fancy or whatever. It may not be the right, right choice for it. Um, and to that end, uh, we use like one of my favorite microphones is a EVRE15, and it beats my 67 about a third of the time on lead vocals. And it looks like a crummy little. It looks like a microphone that got thrown out from the AV club in high school. It's been sitting in a. You know, it's a, it looks like nothing. Beating the the 67 absolutely does. Uh, I mean, all the time. I uh, and you know so so a big part of that is really it's just being smart about polar patterns and how the mic is going to basically start contouring the sound at the source which means you have to do less later, which means there's more integrity to yep. the signal. So and then, so I'm hearing that it sounds like the reason you might not, in a such situation like this or that session, uh, might limit use of condensers is because t often many condensers will have sort of more of an omni or a figure of eight type pattern that's going to bring in more of the stuff other than exactly what you're pointing it at. Absolutely. And e I mean, even in, a, even in cardioid, you can put an SM7, in, which is cardioid, next to a 67 in cardioid the 67 is just going to pick up more sound. It just is. There's no yeah. way around it. Like right. uh, where a dynamic has blinders on to what's around the, its side, it, it's it's sort of a dumber mic in some senses because it maybe it isn't uh, maybe it doesn't pick up as much. It's not quite as sensitive, but that makes it great when you've got a drum kit right next to the guitar amp. Uh, and I don't want I don't want to have to I don't want my EQ on the guitar to affect the sound of the cymbals or the sound of the snare in, right. in the room. So yes. That one was that one was interesting is in, in particular that that library session with Molly Birch um, because because it was all live and because that room is so live it um, and which is which is great but it's also you have to work against it a little bit um, you know because you there's some stuff you don't want blasting in the room I don't want the cymbals splashing mm -hmm. around the room I, I want to hear like the snare drum carry in the room or a little bit of her vocal come well through. and w when you're remote like that you don't have like a, the you know in pictures I've seen in your studio studio you don't have giant rolling gobos that you can throw next to the drum kit to, to tighten that like sure. you're kind of just that's the room you're in that's you're gonna have room. to work with that you mm -hmm. know it's interesting you mentioned that bright light social hour record I, I had to work the studio we recorded drums in for that record cacophony um, in Austin um, it's a gigantic drum room and we wanted much, we wanted tighter sounds and we had to, I mean, we put this crazy like network of mic stands with uh, sleeping bags and all kinds of stuff up around the overheads right. just to tighten the sound. It's, it's like right. the room, the room can be your friend, but the room can also be your enemy. So it's all about yeah. the environment. I've been learning about that. I, I, I just I just moved into my first big room ever for my for myself and I'm learning that like drums all of a sudden are thunderous and amazing, but like I have to do a lot of stuff to make them not sound like that. Now. That's tricky. <laughs> yeah. Well you know, and this is this is the tricky thing with, with making records is it's always an impressive move when the band comes in, you do the gigantic drum sounds, you crush the rooms. You know, you do the thing that everyone does because it's impressive and it feels good at the moment and it makes the drums sound huge. But if the guitars are also going to sound huge and you want giant vocals on this, there's not room. There's, there is simply not room for the drums to be 
that big. Totally. Yeah. And uh, it's, it is a little bit about having the forethought of, okay, what am I actually in the end result? How is this going to be presented? And how do I capture it as close to that on the onset as possible? And that may mean that you don't do, you know, the 1176 smash mode on, on, uh, on the yeah. drum rooms and All you keep them kind of clean. So there is a tighter sense of ambience and it's, it's a, a little more friendly and leaves a little more space. So, wow, Danny, wow. I honestly, I have learned so much just in this short conversation yeah, with you. Man. So I'm, I'm positive our, our listeners are going to as well. Thank you so much for being thank here you, and being so uh, candid and open and honest with us, man. man. Thank you guys uh, for having if me. If anybody, of course. Yeah. If anybody is, um, you know, interested in, in working with you in the future or learning more about you and, and what the, the work that you have done or will do, um, where would you typically send them on the old interwebs? I would probably go to the, just go to Instagram. It's the easiest thing. I'm at good Danny's G O O D D A N N Y S. Um, cause everything's linkable from there. You can go to my website, good But you know, if you go to Instagram, then you can, you know, you can send me a message right there or, or uh, you know, just kind of get a sense of the space, whatever. That's that, I think that's the that's the move. That's the that's the modern that, calling card. That's the move. Yeah, that's it. Love it. That's, that's it. where we are. Wow. Yeah. Oh, seriously, it's been so awesome talking. To you. Yeah, thank I can't you so thank much you for enough, being man. on. Likewise, everybody go check out Danny and follow him on Instagram and, and all the, the cool shit that he does. Um, you know, great talking to everybody, Dave, yep. Danny. Can't wait until we're back in a world where, you know, we could uh, sort out a way to do this in person sometime. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, you, you uh, keep it real. All right. Thanks, keep guys. Talk soon.